0: This program is paid for by Your Radio Doctor, LLC. All opinions or statements expressed on this program are solely those of Your Radio Doctor and their guests and do not reflect the opinions of WPHT or Odyssey. Your Radio Doctor does not recommend or endorse any specific tests, products, physicians, procedures, opinions, or other information that may be mentioned on Your Radio Doctor. Always consult your own physician. Today's program has been pre-recorded.
1: I'm always striving to live my healthiest life, so I need a health plan that has my back. With Independence Blue Cross, I get access to the largest network of doctors and hospitals in the region and free virtual doctor visits 24/7 plus with premiums as low as 0 dollars per month i can stay on top of my health and keep my budget in check independence has given me coverage i can count on and they'll do the same for you learn more about your coverage options at ibx.com talk radio
2: 1210 wphd wphdhd HD 3 philadelphia from the cherry hill volvo studios where relationships matter your health determines your life, your longevity, and your happiness. Let your radio doctor lead the way with your medical education. Your radio doctor, Dr. Marianne Ritchie.
3: Good evening, and welcome to Your Radio Doctor. I'm your host, Dr. Marianne Ritchie. Spring is here, and it's time to get back out there and move. And thanks to Independence Blue Cross, we're all looking forward to the Broad Street run on Sunday, April 30th. It's a week early this year. So how do you train safely for a marathon? And if you're really adventurous, a triathlon. Joining us today is Dr. W. Douglas Hiller, an orthopedic surgeon at the Whitman Hospital and Medical Clinic in Colfax, Washington, as in Washington state. So we're especially happy that he's traveled all this way by voice to join us. And what's great about Dr. Hiller is that he wears two hats, the scrub cap of a surgeon and the bathing cap of a triathlete. So welcome, Doug, my former classmate at Jefferson. So thrilled to see you after all this time.
4: Yeah, great to see you again and, and get to talk, Marianne. It's been quite a while. I, I was glad to hear from you the other month.
3: Oh, well, thank you. And and you have such a rich experience, Doug, because it's great when we take care of people, but when we can empathize, it's a, it's a whole extra layer of comfort to the patient because they, they know that you've walked the walk and you've you 've had the blisters and the muscle pains and aches that they're feeling, so I wonder if we should start for our listeners to define what is a marathon and what's a triathlon
4: well the marathon is a twenty six point two mile run um, which was accidentally invented by a Greek some twenty five hundred years ago running mm-hmm. to uh to Athens to tell them about the um The victory at the at the uh, Battle of Marathon, uh, after which he perished, oh, probably from a heat stroke. Actually, so
3: say he didn't drink enough. Mm -hmm. And how does that differ from a triathlon? I guess a triathlon could be anything that has three events, but
4: yeah, it can be. It was the the people have been doing multi-sport events probably forever. The French describe a race similar to to our modern triathlon that took place in 1928 in paris but the first one modern triathlon was uh, in san diego in 1974 which was followed by the uh, the iron man which really made the sport explode uh, into the world it was a swim bike run event in uh, in san diego and then a whole bunch of for some reason people were really taken by this and a a whole world of these things erupted. Some of them had the swim last first in the middle, and there were all kinds of different distances and different climates and different terrains. Um, so it, it's quite a varied sport. But nowadays, when people talk about triathlon, it's a swim, bike, run, and which, is, which starts with the uh, swim, followed by the bike, and uh, finishes up with a run. People had tried having the mm-hmm. swim last, but they found they needed too many lifeguards. So it was moved back to the front.
3: Oh, I, I, and you make a very good point. If you want to be strong, maybe it's smart to start with the swim because you can drown if you're exhausted. Whereas if you're running, you can always slow down or stop. So the, the Ironman is the behemoth. That is the gold standard of the toughest in terms of 2.4 miles swim. then you get out and ride 112 miles on your bike and then a, tw- then a marathon of 26.2 miles. I, I know people realize it's long distance, but any of those things alone, 2.4 miles swim, then 112 bike, then take a breath and run 26.2. Now, I, I always thought that the Olympic triathlon was the same, but it's actually, if the Iron Man's at like 140.6 miles, the Olympic is only 32 miles. They're all truncated. But why do some people think that's a little harder?
4: Well, they're kind of different sports. It's kind of like the difference between um, running the mile and and uh, and running the marathon. In a way, it's uh, one is very, very, very intense. It's kind of like actually, it's kind of a better a better comparison is running uh, running four hundred meters versus running fifteen hundred meters. You know, one of them is is a lot closer for an endurance athlete is a lot closer to the top speed than the other one is the they both take a lot of time to, tra- to train for, but the longer the distance, typically the more the hours athletes spend. So the Ironman requires, uh, for most people, uh, uh, more hours of training. The um, mm-hmm. as far as how hard it is, it's it's kind of how you feel about it. The um, the Ironman requires that you put up with a perhaps a lower level of discomfort for a much longer period of time, and and the. Um, in both of these races, I think the most fatigue, uh, of course, uh, happens in the run itself. So some people kind of look at it as a swim in the bike or the warm-up for the run. And running a 10K, as people do now, uh, men run the 10K regularly under the, the Olympic quality, world, world-class world Olympic distance triathletes do this. 50. It's a 1,500-meter swim, uh, a um, 40K bike. And a 10 K run. So at the end, they're running a 10 K and in the races, they're running the 10 K regularly under 30 minutes. Wow. So they're, they'd want their, their triathlon 10 K would win many 10 K's yeah. around Philadelphia, mm-hmm. for example.
3: But it's just so intense because they're trying to beat the clock. Um, although a triathlon that's Ironman is pretty much 17 hours, whatever you could fit into 17. And then they, they close the, uh, the, the lane. Now, Doug, I know you've done, we chatted the other day, you've done Ironman about 10 times. What made you want to do it to begin with? I know you were, when we were in medical school, your shoulders took up the whole room because you had been a college swimmer, and that's just a whole different level. What made you want to jump in and try Ironman?
4: Well, a a friend of mine made the subtle comment that, uh, Doug, you're really getting fat. You need more exercise, and I've just done this race in Hawaii called the Ironman. And you need to do that race. You get to go back to Hawaii, which is where I'm from. And this will give you an excuse to exercise more and you'll feel better. And he was right. He was one of a couple of years ahead of us at at Jefferson. So, um, I had no idea really what it was. I hadn't seen anything about it, but he gave me, told me where to get the form. I sent the form in and they sent me an acceptance after I sent my 150 bucks. And that year was actually the last year you could go just by showing up. And that year, it was kind of a it was a kind of a zoo. We had a guy on a bicycle with a buffalo head. Actually, he swam, he <laughs> swam with a buffalo head, and then he rode his beach bike, 112 miles on the lava flats, up and down, over the hills, up the mountain, and back down, and then ran with his buffalo head. That was the last year I think of the buffalo head. After that, and the average finish time, well, the winning finish time that year was probably uh, probably in the nine hours. The the winning finish times now are in the seven hours, which seems impossible.
3: Yeah, it's it's and and I'm and I've been to Hawaii a couple times as a tourist, but I was reading about the Ironman and the conditions. It's warm, but if it's too hot, and we're going to talk about some of the problems runners or athletes face of heat exhaustion, heat stroke, but also the wind that doesn't make the biking or running easier when you're uh, running or cycling in the wind, but so we could spend an entire show talking about how to train safely for an endurance sport like this or an endurance event, I should say. How do you train mentally? Cause out of, out of a hundred people who say, I want to do this, how many succeed? And is it that layer of mental preparedness you think that distinguishes who gets there?
4: Yeah. First I want to, I actually did the, uh, the Ironman itself three times. I don't want to, uh, I don't want to pretend to be something I'm not, and that was enough for me. But um, I think it's it it, it attracts uh, very determined people, focused people, kind of um, uh, people who are looking for looking for something to to uh, to be con- maybe be consumed by or a way to change their lives or. Uh, you know, just get into something that looks new and fun and meet a new, a different group of people. And the people who succeed, basically, in order to do a triathlon, I mean, race, we're talking about the elite athletes, but just doing a triathlon is, is you do it the way I did my first Ironman, which is you absolutely decide you're going to do it, talk to some people who seem to let you trust. And nowadays there are a lot of people around. and know what they're doing, coaches and books and webinars and YouTubes. But – and, and – uh, and just do it and then show up and, and just do it. But the most important things are number one is to really, it number one is to is to be determined to do it, of course, which is necessary for any form of success. And number two is pace yourself. We had a, Rob Hill was a friend in our class at Jefferson and he was a really, oh, yeah. really good swimmer. And we had an old guys swim team. We were all a little older and we raced the younger guys and beat them at a little meat we had uh, in, down in the basement. If you remember the basement pool. In oh yeah. And Rob's theory was uh, was um, train easily and then and then rest. So <laughs> that's that's kind of one way to look at it. If you're a driven person, the biggest danger is overdoing it, not underdoing it. And I was actually the uh, the team doctor for the women's track team at Penn for a while at UPenn, and the coach had had a, a tremendous number of injuries the year before. The previous coach, we had a new coach come in, and, and his philosophy was it's better to be 10% under trained than 1% over trained, because at least you can do the race. They had so many girls who, young women who who had to stop racing because they had stress fractures, they had they had Achilles tendonitis, they had hamstring injuries, depending on what they were doing, and they couldn't race at all. And that's a really common if you want to be a champion, you have that spirit. The biggest danger is it really is overdoing it. Mm-hmm.
3: So I would think that you start out, say, with the running, with long, slow sessions with mixed routes, and you're going to mix up hills versus flat and that sort of thing. And, and as you said, there's so many people who are experts in this now. Do it with advice from people who have already done it or who are physiologists, or and the same with uh, cycling. But I think the important thing about swimming, the swimming, if I'm right, is that you're not now you're not practicing in a pool anymore you're in open water so be familiar with that place where you're going to be swimming i i my my two of my kids did the um i forget what they call the philadelphia insurance company has a uh triathlon in the summer and it's i don't know half a mile swim it's all short short (laughs) just shorter distances certainly and i watched them all jump into the schuylkill and i thought gee whiz I hope for those people who aren't great swimmers that they're not flailing or kicking and they hit somebody in the head. Sure enough, I guess it was the third group that jumped in. They pulled somebody out of the water who had been kicked in the head. So you have to swim defensively, I would think, right? Well, number
4: one is that the most challenging part of a triathlon is, is the swim for most people. Unless I, I right. grew up in Hawaii. I grew up swimming. I was still swimming in medical school. I'm still swimming And it's easy for me. It's no big deal for me. I grew up body surfing in waves that are as tall as my house. And being in the water didn't seem like a big deal. But I must say, probably the most stressful, I played water polo in high school. and Anyway, so I've I've been a lot of stress in the water. But the most stressful moments I remember having in the water was the start of Ironman races, where my first year we had 800, I think 880 people. And there was a a single wave start, men, women. Elite swimmers, floaters, people oh. who've never been in, people who were asking if there were salt in the water, you know, kind of a deal. And, and, and to your point, though, I was lucky because I was generally a faster swimmer. So I went out, I started in the front and got beaten and kicked and all the usual stuff, didn't lose my goggles and pulled away after a while and swam with people my speed and and it was okay. But it was a terrifying five minutes because people kind of lose their minds. Some people are really scared some people are super aggressive and not, not worried about anything and so it is it's kind of like the the Russian Polish water polo game of 1956 or Hungarian it's just it was it was really something and they've moderated those starts over the decades now so they're better but you're you're exactly right and you can swim you can practice in the pool but if you're going to practice in the pool you need to practice swimming the way you're going to swim in the race which is yeah, the real admonition is always train the way you're going to race. So if you're going to swim in a pool, you need to look up and look where you're going regularly so that when mm-hmm. you get in the ocean, all of a sudden, or get in the school kill, you're swimming down the river, not that towards the
3: shore. Right. And in our final 30 seconds here, Doug, when you transition from one sport to the next, say between swimming and then hopping on your cycle, do people change clothes or just wear you know, the same thing and it dries out as you go?
4: Well, it really depends. If it's cold water and you have a wetsuit on, you definitely want to get out of the wetsuit. But people mostly wear the same thing and then they have their cycle shoes on and then when they get off their bike, they get in running shoes.
3: Good, that was my last question. Let's take a little break and learn lots more interesting information about triathlons.
5: Thanks for listening to Your Radio Doctor with Dr. Marianne Ritchie, exclusively presented by Independence Blue Cross. If you have a question for the medical mailbag, just send a note to doctor at yourradiodoctor.net.
6: At Independence Blue Cross, we believe in giving you the tools you need to pursue your healthiest life. From premiums as low as $0 per month to health discounts and cash rewards, it pays to have coverage with Independence. With the strongest network of doctors and hospitals in the region and free 24-7 virtual doctor visits, you can feel confident that quality care is always within reach. Learn more about your coverage options at ibx.com.
5: This is
3: Dr. Marianne Ritchie. Colon cancer, the number two cause of cancer death. Initial screening has been lowered from age 50 to 45 because numbers are rising in younger people. Join the Blue Lights Campaign in March. Put a strand of blue lights on your home or business, a blue light on your porch. Send a photo of your lights or of you wearing blue to info at bluelightscampaign.com. Info at bluelightscampaign.com. Stop cancer, get screened. And we're back on your radio doctor with Dr. Doug Hiller superstar track athlete himself. Doug, it's so great to talk to you because we said you've walked in and and have swum and have cycled, uh, in, uh, triathlons at least three times in Ironman and, and other events. So what happens during the triathlon? We know that, uh, we, we see runners and people run up to them with drinks, but there are tents that, that offer drinks, right? And then there are medical tents. What does a runner see along the way or a cyclist?
4: Well, if somebody gets in, first, the the race courses have gotten very sophisticated. The races used to be somebody would put up a notice in a locker room and 10 people would show up and do a race and no doctor, no nothing, no, no regular course. Now they're extremely organized. USA Triathlon is a fantastic, is a fantastic place to go for these things. USA Triathlon has certified coaches, certified trainers, uh, that is a, a, a perfect resource. And if you're thinking about doing a race, you should definitely join. You're joining a huge club. I think they're close to a million members. Um, they also help. I, I was actually their, I guess their second uh, chief medical officer and the first U.S. national team doctor for USA Triathlon for World Championships. And we looked at what, if, what do we need at these races? What's going on? Your question Exactly. In the swim, you there's a medical tent. there should be people on paddleboards or surfboards mm. or boats or kayaks. At Iron Man, we have divers who are underneath looking up. If you watch the races on the video, you can see amazing views of a thousand people. Now they have 2,500 people in a race swimming wow. over. Um,
3: 5,000 legs.
4: That's a lot of legs out there, but they, oh. these are these are staggered starts, so they're not nearly as bad. Right. As they're, they're still probably terrifying. You had asked me before, what did it feel like? I was I was terrified when I got in the water. I wasn't terrified. I have never been so pumped up in my life. I think I swam for about a hundred yards before I realized I wasn't breathing. So that, that eased one of the feelings of distress. Yeah. Oxygen, our friend. Um, so at the end of the swim, we tend to see things like bruises. We used to, we haven't seen anybody with a broken rib in a long time, but I've seen one. We had a world class athlete who is a patient of mine who tore a hamstring, getting mm. kicked going around a buoy. Oh. It was an impressive MRI scan. She ended up being fine. We have people who get um, uh, get respiratory problems from uh, from I- inhaling water, and we have um, think of that. We have eye injuries that we take care of, Be one or two a year. I mean, these are very rare, but they do happen and they're really important. And our, and our athletes at Ironman, you know, they're from like 18 to 80. And so things yeah. in older people, you have to take everything as if it's the worst thing. Well, you know, in medicine, what is the worst thing this can be? And you start there and work your way down. And it Rarely, but sometimes it really is the worst thing. So if somebody mm-hmm. comes into the medical tent with chest pain, we treat them like they're having an MI. Oh, you have
3: to. Yes. So that's, oh, yeah.
4: that's the swim on the bike. The work, the, the most common problems on the bike is uh, are bike accidents, people falling <gasps> occasion. Oh. Somebody be, will be dehydrated and, and keel over riding a bike. They'll just they're, they're absolutely determined. I'm not going to stop for anything. And they learned a lesson I learned. Um, and, um, so that, we'll take care of those. And then a lot of them are during the run because if you get off that bike and you're not fully hydrated, you are never going to be fully hydrated. You are never going to be fully hydrated. So and you can you can rehydrate as, basically as much as you want if you practice on a bike. So number, rule number one, you want to get off the bike hydrated. You want to get out of the water. I mean, you don't want to drink the water, but you want to hydrate before you swim because you lose about as much fluid swimming as you do cycling or running because it's a function of how hard you exercise. And then at the, at the, during and at the end of the race, we see all kinds of things. We have people who've shown up with diarrhea who I'm going to race even though I had diarrhea for three days. Bad choice. Those people end up getting as sick as you can imagine. They have electro- serious electrolyte disturbances, and um, they're at risk for a lot of things. So the medical tents you're usually aid stations along the way. As you said, typically every mile or so, there's water on the run. Um, there typically are either uh, – at Ironman, we have six or seven vans out on the course just patrolling, but the race course is 50 miles long out and back. So um, shorter races just have around the around the perimeter of the race. Races like the uh, you know, the um, world triathlon, Olympic distance races, have laps. Uh, they're lap formats, so we can do them in cities, and they're really fun to watch. So you only have two or three little, two or three little aid stations, and you might have medics with uh, with uh, life packs, and then spotters everywhere on the course. So there are people who can see the entire course, have radios, and let an ambulance know. There are ambulances waiting that have easy access to the course and will travel in the proper direction. You want an ambulance going in the at counter flow with athletes to take patients back to. A medical tent. There's typically a central medical tent that is set up to take of any super emergency thing, although they vary depending on the location and the country because they're all over the world. And of mm-hmm. course, there are it's necessary that there are there city and county or private ambulances available around uh, within minutes of the course. So does somebody.
3: a problem. I'm, really sure, I'm sure some of your experienced athletes are ready for blisters um you know the more common first aid kind of things like blisters or rashes when when your um, thighs rub and there are ways to stay ahead of that right aren't there vaselines or preps or creams you could say okay to prevent that or even bleeding nipples i know my husband we lived in new york and we watched the new york the first we lived there three years the first year i watched it by myself because he was working the second year we watched together and he said i'm doing that and he trained for 10 months and that was one of the things a lot of the runners say so they put Vaseline or um, and or band aids, not band, yeah, band aids on their nipples to protect from that constant chafing. How about what are the more common musculoskeletal injuries that you say you're an orthopod and and you've probably had them yourself, huh? I mean, we say tendonitis, but it's also tendinopathy or pathology of the tendon from that overuse. And so maybe uh, popping an ibuprofen is not going to help because it's not necessarily inflammation. It's as you said, you have to have built-in recovery time. Yes.
4: Yeah, that that's a huge question. As, as far as as the, the nipple thing made me think, a friend of mine who'd done the race about eight done the Ironman about eight times had a new sponsor, and they gave them a new a new jersey the day before the race. Mm-hmm. Never wear anything you haven't worn in training. Never ever wear anything don't wear different socks definitely never wear different shoes and don't even wear a different t-shirt or shorts because this person ended up with with raw underarms and raw nipples and just it was terrible it was just it was a nice-looking little jersey but it didn't fit so rule number one as far as other injuries during the race we we see people who get muscle cramps muscle tears I've seen uh, I've had a when I was uh, practicing on the big Island I actually had a guy with a free femur fracture from a bike wreck, um, car, car versus bicycle injuries are rare, but they do happen. You want to be on a course that's closed. If you're going to do a triathlon, get on a closed course. Do not race where there is traffic. Um, but yeah, anything you can imagine for overuse, stress fractures are really common among women. We did a study of 2,438 triathletes, um, uh, a, a survey study and 25% of the women that had stress fractures, about 17% of the men had. I've had several come through my office when I was living on the big Island and actually on Oahu too were where with stress fractures of the hip. So you get groin pain. You don't know what the groin pain is. So one thing is when you get joint pain or bad muscle pain or what feels like bad tendon pain, go see an expert, go see a sports medicine doctor. Or if you have an athletic trainer, talk to your athletic trainer. If you have a friend who's a physical therapist. But anything that doesn't get better, you really want to check on that because these are ways to ruin your year of training, and I see it
3: happen all the time. Or that joint for the rest of your life, right? Yeah, Yeah. possibly, yeah.
4: Yeah, I mean, I've had two people who decide who found out they had a stress fracture of their hip who elected to do the Ironman within a week. Neither one of them fractured all the way through, but they could have, and they could have ended up, with a total hip. So you want to be smart about these things. Believe your body. Find out what your limits are and trust them and trust the way you feel because there's nothing. An MRI scan is not as sensitive as the way you feel when
3: you're exercising. Very, very good. You know things before an MRI scan. Very good point. Um, You know, we talked a little bit earlier too, Doug, about hydration. And um, I had read a couple of articles that said, you know, after you finish – multiply your weight by the number of this or that and and there is no exact formula for each person and one of the dangers of drinking a lot of water as you as we perspire some of its fluid some of its electrolytes and everybody puts out a different amount of salt let's say so if you drink water you're replenishing with dilute just pure water and not salt and if you dry and if you put too much water in your body without corresponding salt and your own salt level drops, your sodium level drops, you can go into a coma and you can die. Right. So, so, and the sports drinks don't always have enough sodium potassium to do the job either. So how do you tell people how to rehydrate as they go or stay hydrated?
4: That's a, that's one of the $64 million questions. And it, <clears throat> and really we, um, we did studies at Ironman and starting out of, out of the Penn lab, we had a group called Labman, um, where we measured your serum and electrolytes before and after the Ironman race, and we had a, one particular athlete who was 125 sodium at the finish of the race and very dehydrated. Mm. So most people who end up diluting the sodium in their bodies, which you're talking about, which can be fatal, most of those people are overhydrating. They're, they're, they're drinking too much water. So what that means is they have not they're drinking by what they feel, which is wrong. You should know that I need to be drinking every mile marker. I need to take two sips or every 15 minutes I need to take, not because you think it feels right on that race, but because you've done it 50 times before you did the race when you were training. That's the right way, and it will not happen to you probably if you do that. So one group of people is the people who just drink too much. The other group of people, which is rare but is very real, are people who lose so much sodium that they can't rehydrate, they can't, They when they rehydrate, they end up de, diluted, even if they end up dehydrated, if that makes sense. So like you were saying, they lose a lot more sodium than they lose water, they just drink water. So number one is it is a good idea for every reason to drink uh, something that has uh, sodium and carbohydrate in it. And um, that'll help protect you from heat injuries, and it'll also help protect you from Hypernatremia. The other thing is to um, to just be aware that, that that's a real thing. If you start to feel lightheaded, if you start to feel sick, if you get start to feel start to have diarrhea, well, that one thing that can be is a heat injury. Another thing that can be is hypernatremia.
1: Mm-hmm.
4: We had one. We do we have time to talk about one individual
3: here? Uh, let's start it into the next cycle, if we may. Let's take a little break and ask you to return to hear more from Dr. Doug Hiller about preparing and going through a triathlon safely. And now for your real champion, I call this segment Marathon Man. Many people lay claim to creating the phrase that life is a marathon, not a sprint, And we're learning this week that completing an endurance sport event like a marathon or triathlon involves several requirements. First, you have to dedicate time to rigorous training. The athlete also has to be very disciplined about proper diet, adequate sleep, and recovery time between intense sessions of exercise. Equally important to the physical conditioning is the mental discipline. Focus, determination, and how to keep one's eye on the goal while tolerating the ups and downs of training and the race itself. Pat Finley knows firsthand what it takes to compete. He learned the value of discipline, focus, and teamwork when he played football and lacrosse at Malvern Prep, then on to the University of Virginia, where he played club lacrosse. He graduated college in 2020, right at the beginning of COVID. To escape the cabin fever of lockdown, he began running and set his mind to enter the Marine Corps Marathon the following year in October 2021. He was living in D.C., enjoying his job designing custom software platforms. In September of 2021, Pat started getting pain in his neck and groins with enlarged lymph nodes, then contracted a strep throat. At a nearby emergency department, he learned that his white blood cell count was abnormal, suggesting leukemia. His parents brought him home to Penn, and the diagnosis of acute lymphocytic leukemia was confirmed. When I asked what the first thought was that came into his mind, he said, I can't believe I'm putting my parents through this. I saw how much they suffered when my sister was sick. A special note, Pat is one of three children. His older sister had been diagnosed with leukemia just four years before. She underwent treatment with chemotherapy and two bone marrow transplants, and his family had been in strict quarantine for over two years to protect her immunosuppressed condition. During his own treatment with five rounds of chemo and a bone marrow transplant, he knew the family would have to go through strict quarantine all over again. As for himself, Pat wasn't worried about dying nearly as much as not fully recovering. He found his motivation in a book called Can't Hurt Me by Navy SEAL David Goggins, and Pat planned to suck it up. He worked out every day up to his bone marrow transplant. Then came the fever, diarrhea, loss of appetite, taste, and 25 pounds. His blood pressure was so low he couldn't stand alone, but he pushed through. And he began to realize that like training for a marathon, he started from nothing and found it was satisfying to see himself grow because oftentimes you plateau. During his treatment in March, he would journey through cycles of low white cell counts, tolerating steroids that caused unbearable leg cramps. By August of 2022, Pat couldn't complete a mile. Once he was finished medicines like tacrolimus, which can cause tremors, he returned to running more and more. And one day before he moved back to D.C., he ran 10 miles. Two weeks later, 15 miles. Two weeks later, 20 miles. With no residual effects after any of these runs. A few short weeks later, Pat Finley finished the Marine Corps Marathon on October 30, 2022. Lessons learned? Pat read a lot, about 50 books. One that made a lasting impression was Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl a prisoner in a concentration camp. Victor Frankl had a fierce will to live and focused on a goal to see his wife again. Pat says with the right mental framing, you can convince yourself of anything. Pat was also fascinated by the actions of his chemotherapies and learned about their ability to turn off genetic receptors. And after spending an entire year in treatment, he grew in special appreciation for his parents and sister Watching her go through cancer therapy gave him confidence to go through it too. On October 30, 2022, Pat Finley earned a medal for each of two marathons, one from the Marine Corps and one from his cancer doctors at Penn. Pat said, you can fight cancer with your own decisions, not just the chemotherapy. Don't just rely on the meds, do everything you can, get good sleep, walk, exercise, keep your brain active, and most of all, stay positive. You have the power of decisions that are made in fighting the disease. We salute you, Pat Finley, your real champion.
0: Today's edition of Your Radio Doctor with Dr. Marianne Ritchie, presented exclusively by Independence Blue Cross, can be enjoyed anytime, anywhere, and your convenience. Just download the Odyssey app and search Your Radio Doctor. It's health education on demand.
1: I'm always striving to live my healthiest life, so I need a health plan that has my back. With Independence Blue Cross, I get access to the largest network of doctors and hospitals in the region and free virtual doctor visits 24-7. Plus, with premiums as low as $0 per month, I can stay on top of my health and keep my budget in check. Independence has given me coverage I can count on, and they'll do the same for you. Learn more about your coverage options at ibx.com. When we ask questions... We make sure they're the big
5: ones, like when it comes to diseases. Can we strive to treat, prevent, and even reverse them? And how can we make healthcare more effective and more affordable? These are the types of questions that can help impact the lives of so many patients, that help push the boundaries of innovation and healthcare for all communities. At Genentech, we are the pioneers of the biotech industry, tackling some of the biggest questions in healthcare. Learn more at gene.com slash ask bigger questions. Your Radio Doctor, Dr. Marianne Ritchie. Now Saturday afternoons at 5, presented exclusively by Independence Blue Cross.
0: This program is paid for by Your Radio Doctor LLC.
3: Welcome back to Your Radio Doctor. Our guest today, Dr. Doug Heller from Washington State, is Mr. Iron Man, having done it himself several times and now he's an orthopedic surgeon who takes care of other athletes who sustain injuries. So we were talking about the common musculoskeletal injuries now on to the more life-threatening uh, situations people would find themselves in when they're doing this 140.6 mile triathlon. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> nothing who's counting, but one of the things are the effects of heat. So we know there are categories of heat illness and, um, and we should talk a little bit about the difference between heat exhaustion, which can rapidly progress to heat stroke. Heat stroke, of course, is life threatening, and that's probably the most common life threatening condition in uh, an endurance sport. Yes.
4: Yeah, it's well, it's it's right up there, and it's and of mm-hmm. course it depends on the conditions. Uh, uh, I, I I I consider myself an expert on heat stroke. For a, here's a quick story: I was living in the. Uh, residence halls at Jefferson on Spruce Street training for the Ironman and uh, my the first race I did I tried to do before the Ironman was the National Masters Sports Festival in 1982 I think and um, I had all kinds of got all kinds of the best advice I could can, can a friend of ours had a running a husband who's a runner he taught me how to run which is pretty awesome and the race day came around it was hotter than Hades it was like 99 degrees and 99% humidity it was a three day race First, well, so on the run, it was ninety-nine degrees, ninety-nine percent humidity. The first day oh. of the race, the first day of the race was a swim off the Jersey Shore, where, which was pretty ucky. But I got out of the water. I was very nearsighted. Got out of the water and oh. I was all alone. I thought, Oh my goodness, where's the finish line? In that? Oh no, no, no! You're third. There are 150 people. It's like, wow, that's amazing. I actually found it to the shore without my uh, lenses in, and here we are. And I thought, well, there's my moment of glory. And the next day, we did a 10k bike time trial. And I'd been training with all these cyclists and I got third out of 150. So I was leading the race by five minutes overall. So my best 10K was 42 minutes. And I thought, well, you know, we'll see what happens. Then I had all these, well, you can go faster. You're you're in a lot uh, better shape than you think. And so, so an alleged friend of mine who's a doctor at Pennsylvania Hospital where I was an intern who said, oh yeah, well you need to, uh, you just run with me. I always run a 36 minute 10K because I heard the guy Right behind you, he's five minutes behind you, wins a 31-minute 10K. So unless you run a 36-minute 10K, you're you're out of luck for winning this race. And, you know, come on and do it. Oh, okay. That's only, what, eight minutes? No problem. Eight minutes faster. So we did the first mile of the 10K, and I think I ran my fastest mile ever then, which is like a 537. Finished the finished uh, the, uh, the turnaround at 5K at exactly 18 minutes. And every step of that's the most... Amazing athletic effort of my life. I thought I was going to die after every step. I like would just, think you got to go, you got to go. So I made it about a kilometer back, and then all of a sudden, I was, I was felt like I was, I was going to die. I was suffocating. It was agony to move, and all of a sudden, it felt better. I thought, well, this must be endorphins. This is really good news. Um, and then I collapsed. And. Uh, crawled off the road and sat under the tree. Well, I'd had a heat stroke, and I sat there for like eight minutes waiting for the 31-minute oh, 10K runner to run by, and it turned out he wasn't he wasn't really a very good runner. So the ambulance oh. picked me up and took me to Pennsylvania Hospital where I was doing my internship, where everybody could point and laugh and call their friends into the ER. Oh, so
3: that,
4: that was my introduction to heat stroke, and it also was my introduction to exercise physiology, because I was so amazed by that. I discovered that my mind was stronger than my body and there are all these processes going on which are not conscious which are controlling what happens to you so i launched a career into exercise physiology research on that one day of of really bad judgment
3: and i know you have collected a lot of data on these issues of heat illness um and physiology uh tendon damage all the things we've talked about and i think for people that they should understand that there's a warning. If you have heat exhaustion, it means you might be uh, dehydrated, maybe not, but the core body temp is between about 101 and 104, and there's no significant um, confusion or um, seizure, but you may be mildly confused. So that's a red flag, like get cooled off the faster we cool you off, because if it goes into heat stroke, it can be multi-system illness with... Um, what we say, call encephalopathy, your brain, I guess, is on fire, acute kidney, liver, and muscle injury, high body temps, over 104, confusion, emotional instability, seizures, coma, it, it can cost your life. It's just not worth that. And the, I guess the morbidity or the illness and the possible mortality are a direct result of lack of oxygen and the oxidative stress, which is mumbo-jumbo for too much and the faster we cool you off, the better. So thank goodness that ambulance got you to Penzi so quickly.
4: Well, thanks. I was happy about that too.
3: Oh, my gosh. I guess so. The oldest hospital in the country, by the way, Pennsylvania it Hospital. Is. So, so,
4: it is. It's really an amazing thing. I was so fascinated by that. I'm still doing research on it. But the, the deal with it is that your body puts out a lot of heat. So you know if it's a hot day and you sit in a car with the windows up, you get hot, you start to feel sick. Well, you're probably having the equivalent of exertional heat illness when you feel that way. You start mm-hmm. to see spots, then you're probably really on the edge of something more serious. Um, for athletes, yeah. do not ever ignore that stuff. What we do at, at, what we do now everywhere uh, that USAT uh, sanctions races and that the World Triathlon sanctions races is have cooling tubs. At the finish line, both for the both mm. just for athletes who finish who feel overheated, but in the medical tent, I was at a race in the last year where there was we had, oh, somebody come in with a temperature of one oh eight point five, who was
3: oh my was immediately
4: put in ice water. Thank goodness it was it was recognized and she, the, this person immediately was put in ice water. She cooled down. We, we have an electronic thermometer. We watched the temperature decrease. We know when to take them out of the water. Went to the hospital and went and went back, was done. That was fine at the end of the evening, which is pretty amazing. And then about 30 minutes later, somebody came in with a, a temperature of 109 rectally. Wow. So two people who could have died if they had not been cooled off. So the real message with heat stroke, if somebody is confused, fall down, God forbid, unconscious, if somebody comes in who says, gee, I stopped sweating back there, they're either very flushed, they're very pale, has confused, they they should be assumed to have heat stroke. So if you have a thermometer, do yeah. that. But if you even strongly suspect that in an athlete, in hot weather, you should immediately cool them off. The best way to cool them is, Jump is, them. is in ice water, but running water, packed with ice, anything you can do. And you do that before – you wait. You don't wait for an ambulance. come. Right. You do it immediately.
3: Armpits, well, right on the site. So there are other causes why uh, uh, an athlete could collapse. Like sudden cardiac arrest is not, you know, certainly very important, but fortunately, it's very rare. But as you say, the spectrum of age could go up to age eighty. But a young person can have a, a, an arrhythmia or heart stop, anaphylaxis, or a um, Allergic reaction, I guess, if you're stumped by a jellyfish or something like that, or, or insulin shock. I know my dear husband was in the marathon one time, and at the starting line in New York, there was a new product out called Erg. Nothing bad about the product, but glucose makes our insulin jump. Fructose is a sweetener that is less likely to give you an insulin overshoot. So he said, sure, I'll try it. And by mile five, six, he said he felt like was going to die. And probably his his insulin did overreact. His blood sugar plummeted. And that is certainly a scary thing. So two things, like you said, don't wear anything you've never practiced in. Don't eat or drink anything that you haven't done before. Don't do anything new on race day in terms of eating or drinking. And if you do a medical issue, be sure, be sure you wear a bracelet, Right. And ID bracelet it saying, I have asthma, which could stir up in a runner. The other thing, Doug, that you mentioned, the heat illnesses, what if somebody, as you say, some uh, races are in a place where they need a wetsuit because it's cold. People get hypothermia or super cold. That's probably a little easier to help people with than hyperthermia, yes?
4: Well, it kind of depends. We had a race uh, We had a race in Vancouver, a world championship event, Vancouver 20 years ago, where the water was so cold that... It- we had a bunch of people who were not in the final stages of hypothermia, but were sick enough that they had to stop the race. So you want to be at a race that's well-prepared. They should have a, a heat tent as opposed to a cooling tent. They should have warming blankets. They should have a, you know, warm warm fluids and, uh, and a medical team. So, yeah, it can, it can go either way. As far as sudden death, one of the most common causes, it's very rare in triathlons. It's one, we, we just looked at 70,000 races, including about 70,000 people, and there were no deaths. So maybe one in 100,000, one in 200,000 in triathlon people die. But but we have had several, several cardiac deaths, which occurred in the water. So there's a lot of debate about what that might be. But typically, it was a middle aged man, and uh, Mm. with with no real previous cardiac history, who came in with a flatline. So Mm-hmm. right? Takatsubo, mm-hmm. who knows what it is, but it does happen. And it's a matter also when you're swimming, always look around you and don't be like the people who climb Mount Everest. If you see somebody who is, who's ill, just stop and just yeah. help them.
3: Yeah. And I think one other thing people should know, if a, if an athlete has a history of sickle cell trait, Um, they're at a markedly increased risk of sudden death because the, the heat from the strenuous exercise, the low oxygen content causes cells to sickle when they're not, when they usually don't, and they will collapse and their temp isn't necessarily high like other heat, uh, illnesses. Um, and they're conscious. They're not, uh, dizzy or or, confused or anything like a heat stroke patient. So it's really important that, that they wear an ID bracelet and say they have this history. We're going to start talking about runner's diarrhea too, because so many athletes will say they're in the middle of the race and they get this instant urge to find a place because they have diarrhea. And um, we'll start talking about that and carry it over. But from uh, as a GI doc, one of the serious causes is ischemia, your blood, leaves the GI tract because we got to get that blood to the muscles and help and to your skin to help you get stay cool with uh, perspiration and you know cooling off your skin. So your GI tract says, wow, where's my blood supply? And the worst possibility is bloody diarrhea and, and dangerous. But that's rare. The more common thing is just that mechanical stimulation of running causes the lining of your intestine to secrete hormones that changes secretions you put out more fluid that's going to give you loose stools but it also changes the motility of the muscle and you feel that urge at the back door and you got to run to the potty stat so (laughs) let's pick up with that uh when we come back after the break
0: your radio doctor with dr marianne ritchie is presented exclusively by independence blue cross
7: Hi, I'm Corey Ritchie, Chief Executive Officer, Recovery Centers of America at Lighthouse, New Jersey, and one of your addiction experts from RCA. Today, I'm here to talk to you about trauma and substance use. So what exactly is trauma? SAMHSA describes individual trauma as an event or circumstance resulting in physical harm, emotional harm, and or life-threatening harm. So that being said, everyone's perception of trauma is different and everyone's reaction to trauma is different. For some people, falling off of a bike may be a traumatic event, while for others, being involved in a major car accident may not be traumatic at all. While the perception and response can be different, one thing that is known is that there is a strong link between trauma and substance use. If you've experienced trauma, there may be a variety of symptoms that you experience. For example, intrusive thoughts, difficulty sleeping, guilt, shame, anxiety, depression, or terror. And the desire to manage these symptoms on your own can often lead to the use of alcohol and drugs. While this may bring temporary relief to the symptoms, it can actually worsen other symptoms or even cause additional medical, psychiatric, and psychosocial problems. Substance use can further isolate and disconnect you from the positive supports that you have as well. If you or one of your loved ones need help with alcohol or drugs, reach out to Recovery Centers of America at 833-969-0268 or visit rcaradiodoctor.com. That's rcaradiodr.com. We answer the phone and admit patients 24-7.
6: At Independence Blue Cross, we believe in giving you the tools you need to pursue your healthiest life. From premiums as low as $0 per month to health discounts and cash rewards, it pays to have coverage with Independence. With the strongest network of doctors and hospitals in the region and free 24-7 virtual doctor visits, you can feel confident that quality care is always within reach. Learn more about your coverage options at ibx.com.
2: Your weekly prescription brought to you by Genentech, the science driven company that pioneered the biotech industry to transform how we treat the world's most complex health problems.
3: And in our final segment of Your Radio Doctor, we call this Your Weekly Prescription, brought to you by Genentech. Doug, we've learned so much about triathlons, what they entail, and the importance of listening to your body. We wanted to finish a little bit about, uh, runner's diarrhea because the the motility or the motion of your bowel changes and can give you cramping. Um, I know that uh, cyclists, I guess, because they're leaning forward are more likely to get upper GI symptoms like heartburn, regurged, nausea, vomiting, whereas runners are more likely to have that jostled bowel and they, they get the, uh, diarrhea, um, But I think it's also important for people to realize that staying hydrated, especially if you have diarrhea, but one of the things that changes with motility, with intense exercise, our stomachs start to empty more slowly than usual. So you put a deposit in, you put a meal in, it doesn't move forward, and then you're gonna run. The slowest food type to leave our stomachs is fat. So one of the things that I would guess People would be advised: that Don't eat a fatty meal. Don't have pancakes and sausage before you go. No, I'm kidding, but don't eat fatty food before exercise, or especially a big run like this. Any other um, helpful hints? Maybe uh, carbs, like n- not in liquid form, as opposed to gels or bars.
4: Yeah, probably they they'd say like thirty five or so uh, grams per hour of carbohydrates for a rate a race less than two and a half hours and up to ninety. Uh, in a race that's going to last like Ironman distance races. And basically, again, it's whatever you want. I, I really bonked at a race because I started, I thought Coke would be great, but Coke killed me. Like, 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 uh, like, Stu, it was just, it was the absolute worst thing to do. So one, the can't say it too many times, practice it. Don't ever try anything new at a race. And, um, You'll guarantee to finish. You might not win it, but you're guaranteed to finish it that way.
3: And in the end, you don't have to be Greta Weitz. Well, she won the marathon in whatever year I lived there, nineteen eighty-five. <laughs> I wonder if she's still running. Right. But not triathlon's a whole different uh, behemoth kind of event. So your take home messages, Doug, for our listeners.
4: Well we'll just go do it. Whatever it is you want to do, do it. Get do it in a thoughtful way. Get get some friends or Look it up or read about the right way to do things. The most important things are what not to do. Do not ignore joint pain. Do not ignore it if you get dizzy. Do not ignore it if all of a sudden starts, things start to feel really good because in the universe, that's
3: almost always a bad sign. And know the conditions. Go and visit the course a few times, yes? If you can, you should do that. And one of the things you can
4: do, the National Weather Service there are a bunch of awesome weather programs out there where they'll tell you what it's been like on this day of the year for 10 years. No can tell you that in And that'll be a good guess of what to do. And then in your training, if you're going to be in a hot place, you ought to be working out at least two weeks, preferably four weeks ahead of time in the heat somehow that matches the heat you're going to train in. Very good point. Because you can get there too. For a race like Ironman, you should get out there two weeks early if you can, or at least be someplace that's as hot as that or as hot as the race in St. George or races in Arizona, whatever you're going to do, you want to match that as much as you can.
3: Because as you say, that was the other big point you were making repeatedly, know how much to drink. You are an experiment of one. Let's finish with that.
4: Yeah, your whole body is an experiment of one. There's a factor of 10 difference between what, what my professor at Duke drank and between one of our elite athletes when we were, we were studying this at the University of, of Penn drank. So find out for yourself how much you need. Find out What heart rate do you race at? There's some awesome electronic stuff out there. What are you comfortable at? I can do it at 120 beats an hour for as long as I want or whatever it is for you. And it's going to be different for you. So what happens with your friends is not necessarily very helpful. You are an experimental.
3: That's a great way for people to remember to go out, practice, measure in advance, and you'll be much, Your the adrenaline you have that day, it will go into your performance and not fear. Yeah. Dr. Doug Hiller, what a pleasure to have bring you back my Jefferson Medical College classmate. And uh, we should give a rah-rah for Jefferson Medical College, now called Sidney Kimmel Medical College, but Thomas Jefferson University. And I, I always thought it was ironic that our school colors were black and blue. T.J.U., black and blue. <laughs> yeah, how, how, how
4: very appropriate.
3: <laughs> yes. Well, I can't wait to come out to Washington State to visit you, Doug. Thank you well, so much.
4: Well, thank you very much. It was great talking with you.
3: Thanks for listening to Your Radio Doctor every Saturday at 5 here on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. Listen to this show, Your Real Champion, or any of our shows, again, on odyssey.com. That's A-U-D-A-C-Y. Thanks to our exclusive sponsor, Independence Blue Cross and for support from Recovery Centers of America and Genentech. Friends, we share our weekly newsletter and post our audio clips after every show on social media. I challenge you to follow us on LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Show your radio doctor some love. Now show yourself some love and get screened for colorectal cancer. Numbers are rising in younger people, under age 50, even under age 40. Everyone at average risk should begin screening no later than age 45. Maybe younger if you have a family history of colorectal cancer or colon polyps. Know your family history. It could change the advice you receive as to when you begin screening and how often you come back for repeat testing. Now show the world some love. Join the Blue Lights campaign. Put a strand of blue lights on the front door of your home or business, then send a photo to info at Info at bluelightscampaign.com. Add your name and we'll give you a shout out on the show. Tune in next week to learn about the microbiome with a national expert. This is your radio doctor, Dr. Marianne Ritchie, wishing you a happy, healthy, safe week with the ones you love. And always here to remind you that your health is your wealth.
0: Thanks for listening to your radio doctor, Dr. Marianne Ritchie, presented exclusively by Independence Blue Cross. To contact Dr. Marianne and to listen to today's show as well as past shows, visit yourradiodoctor.com. This program is paid for by Your Radio Doctor, LLC. All opinions or statements expressed on this program are solely those of Your Radio Doctor and their guests and do not reflect the opinions of WPHT or Odyssey. Today's program has been pre-recorded.